We're in the fall of Babylon, Revelation chapter 18, 1 through 24. We're going to do something very unusual this week. It's an entire chapter. Can you believe it? Yes. And because it's an entire chapter, I won't read every word in the chapter for you. This will be quite different than we normally do because some of it's redundant. Uh, like the things that the merchants do when they list all these things uh, that they do. It's not really germane to the, to the story. So if you would, stand for reading of God's Word. Chapter 18, verse 21 through 24. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. And the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the meantime, that she, would, she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. In verse 12 through 17, it talks about the merchandise that that they buy in verse 17 for in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Then every shipmaster who traveled ship sailors and as many as trade as the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out weeping and wailing saying, alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth for in one hour, she is made desolate. In verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. And the sound of the harpist and the musicians and so on will not be heard in the city. Pick it up at 23b, for, for your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your, by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints, and, of, and the saints of all who were slain on the earth. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this time, as always, to study the infallible and errant word of God. Thank you that one day we know that we know that we know that evil will be done with, and that this Babylonian system will be destroyed, and the Lord Jesus will return and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, we cannot wait for that to happen. Thank you for this time that you've given us to study the inerrant word of God. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, today, things you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. The fall of Babylon. This is the commercial Babylon. This is the political Babylon. This is that Babylonian system that has been in place formally from the Tower of Babel to today. We are living in Babylon today. That is the system that exists today. In chapter 17, we talked about the harlot, the religious system that would come to power at the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. The Antichrist would use this system to his advantage. The harlot would hate believers. Antichrist is all about that. But the Antichrist doesn't want any, any worship to go towards anybody but him. So at the middle of the tribulation, he rises up and demands the whole world worship him and he will hate the harlot. And you know what he'll do to the harlot? He'll destroy the harlot. That's, Re that's Revelation 17, 16. I will hate the harlot and make her desolate. And when this happens, all worship will be directed towards the Antichrist. Now, I want you to realize again that our world from the beginning to now 
into the future till Jesus comes is the Babylonian system. All false religion systems are rooted in Babel and continue to today. Now, I want you to notice, this is the globe. Out of this whole globe, this is the Babylonian influence. All world religions, atheism would be in this because atheism is actually the worship of yourself as the self-god. And Christianity is the only one true religion. This is taken out of verse-by-verse ministries. I copied it off of him. He does a great job with these illustrations. And I want you also to notice that in the earth today, there are supposedly 2 billion people that are Christian or claim to be Christian. That would make this roughly like this, okay? That'd be a a quarter. There's about 8 billion people, so it'd be about a quarter. This guy is very truthful because I don't believe that the 2 billion Christians are born again of the spirit Christians, okay? They're not genuine Christians. And his slice of the pie actually kind of demonstrates what real Christianity is in the world today. The false religion system will be dealt with. The false political and government system will be dealt with. It'll be the last part of the tribulation, the very last thing. Now, this Babylonian system, I believe Babylon will be an actual city. It's phase two of the campaign of Armageddon. We've seen this picture several times. And this will be the destruction of Babylon. Antichrist will be in the staging area of Megiddo, preparing for for the great final conflict on earth. He gets the message that Babylon is destroyed. Instead of being attacked, instead of defending his city, he attacks Jerusalem. He attacks Jerusalem. Why? To kill every Jew possible. Remember, his goal is to eliminate the Jewish people so they cannot plead for Messiah to return nor admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. So Babylon will be destroyed. This political economic system will be destroyed. The Jews, interestingly interestingly enough, are told to flee Babylon, that city. Get out of there. We are told today to flee the Babylonian system today. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on God out of a pure heart. Flee, flee, flee this Babylonian system. Flee the evil is a theme of Scripture. That word flee means this. Seek safety and seek it now. Don't delay. Seek safety and seek it now. So this week we're going to talk about the fall of Babylon in verses 1 through 3. This is decreed. This is declared. The fall of Babylon is declared. And we've read it just a second ago. After these things, Metatauda, after talking about the religious harlot, he's going to talk about the political system. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now remember the fifth bowl judgment, there's darkness over the face of the earth. This angel is coming, illuminating the earth, pushing the darkness away. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Pause for just a second. Now remember, in different areas, there are different demonic entities that are in charge. There was the prince of Persia in the book of Daniel. There's a prince of Greece in Daniel chapter 10. These entities now are going to be confined in this area, not having influence anymore. This would become a demonic prison. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So the world loves the Babylonian system. Everyone in the world has committed fornication with that system. Christians would be the the ones taken out of that world, taken out of that, that system. So the Antichrist political economic system is done for. What does God use as an expression of his wrath in dealing with this system, dealing with Babylon? The nations from the north. Now, please listen to this. Preterists, those who believe that Revelation 6 through 19 have taken place and those things were fulfilled in 70 AD when when Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem, believes that this is actually talking about, these verses are talking about 
Persia being Iran, Iran being Persia destroyed Babylon. Remember in the statue, it was Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the legs, and then the ten nation confederation. The second one was Persia. This is not referring to Persia as destroying the city of Babylon. This is referring to nations coming from the north. Jeremiah chapter 50 verse 9 and 50 verse, 50 verse 41 talk about the north. Now I want to show you another map here. Now if you notice, Iran is to the east of Iraq. Babylon is in, the, in Iraq and it is to the west of Iran. These nations that come and destroy Babylon are coming from the north. It could be Turkey. It could be any of these nations. Okay. But it cannot be Iran. It cannot be Iran. So the preterists, I believe, are wrong in their view of this. So, and it will be with vengeance. It's the vengeance of the Lord, it says in Jeremiah 15, 15. And listen to this, what vengeance means. It means God doing this. Retaliation, revenge, rage. This is the wrath of God being exerted on, on, on Babylon by God using other nations to do this. This is the wrath of God. Babylon will be laid waste. It will be a demonic prison. It will be a prison for every foul spirit. Verse 2. The future holding tank for falling demons. Now what are these holding tanks going to do? They are waiting for these demons are going to be judged at the very end. Remember, there will be a great white throne judgment for humans. But around that time also, all who have not believed in Jesus Christ, everyone who has rebelled against God, including the demonic realm, will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. That's their holding tank now. For humans who reject Jesus Christ, their holding tank in Luke 16 is torment. Torment. They are confined there until the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. They will be judged, the books will be opened, and they will end up in the lake of fire. That's how that whole thing works. Now, I want you to think about something. Again, this, this angel comes forth, and he comes forth with illumination. And I've mentioned the fifth bowl judgment that we talked about a few weeks ago in Revelation 16. That there was darkness over the face of the earth. So this light comes in and displaces the darkness. And I want to emphasize this, and Roy did this in his talk excellently a few weeks ago, that darkness must flee the light. And this little picture of this, this candle is so significant, the candle. Now notice that it's dark all around, but the light always displaces the darkness. You never have a light that is snuffed out by the darkness. The light always conquers. The light always wins. Now, what did Jesus say in, in, in John 8, 12? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John speaks about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness did not comprehend it. That word darkness is scotia, and it means the prevailing idea of unhappiness and sin. When you talk about a darkness in this world, when you talk about the Babylonian system, which always brings darkness into people's lives, it is the prevailing sense of sin and despair, unhappiness and ruin. Jesus burst into this dark world, he brought the light and hope that only he can bring. He brings light into our chaos. He is the one that makes life manageable while we're living here in this Babylonian system. And I want you to think about this. He is the light of the world. You being born again of the Spirit become light also. Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you who are believers are the light of the world. Little candles... Little candles, you go into your workplace, you go into your family, you go in with your friends, you go in with your sports team, wherever you go. You are the light of the world. And what are you supposed to do with your light? Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine that, you, that the world will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Babylon's darkness, folks, is going to be dealt with. 
it is decreed by God that it will come to an end. Verses 4 through 8, we have a warning. A warning for these people in Babylon and a warning for us today. And that is separate from Babylon. And by the way, do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. It sounds like God is speaking. Unless you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render her just as she rendered to you. Repay her double according to her works. You don't think that God's wrath is going to be poured out? His judgment and his wrath are every bit a part of God as his loving kindness, gentleness is. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. See the pompous arrogance of Babylon. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, one moment, boom, dealt with. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So what do we see here? Now, please hear this. The warning is clear. Flee from the wrath that is coming. Seek safety. And when do you seek it? You seek it now. You seek it now. Flee. Once judgment is decreed, it will be fast and it will be final. Verse 8. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, burned with fire. There is a point, there is a point when God says no more. There is a point where sin reaches its peak and God will deal with it. There is a point of no return with God for a nation, for a city, or for a person, for an individual. Now, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Most of you people are Bible students. You have an idea what Sodom and Gomorrah was. It was a decadent city. It was steeped in all kinds of sin. One of the greatest ones was homosexuality. But there was a situation here where God comes and he speaks to Abraham, or the angels come and speak to Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to do this to the city. And with the conversation, there's a discussion. Will you save God with a discussion with God? Will you save it for 50? Will you save it for 40? Will you save it for 30, 20, all the way down to 10? Certainly there'll be 10 in Sodom that are righteous. They couldn't find 10. And so these angels go into the city to destroy the city, to get Lot and his family out. Now what happens here is kind of astounding. In Genesis 19.16, it says this, this. This judgment is impending. Lot and his family know that these are angels, know what's going to happen. And while he lingered, that is Lot, while he lingered, the men or the angels took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. You see how Lot was leaving the city? He had to be drug out. He had to be drug out. And I started asking myself, what is wrong with Lot? What is wrong with Lot? He's been immersed in Babylon. And you know what happened to Lot? He became numb to the sins of Babylon. He became numb. And Christians, folks, Christians can become numb to the sin of the Babylonian culture that we're living in. Please understand that we're all numb to this to some extent. We don't realize how much we've been impacted. Now, the attitude is often this. And you tell me if you haven't heard this before. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? That's not so bad. That's not so bad. You need to be more broad-minded. You need to be more tolerant. You don't need to be that rigid. And then they hit you with this. Don't be a legalist. And none of us want to be legalists. So, ah, no, no compromise, folks. God does not see sin the way we see sin. We must understand that. It is a big deal to him. When God's people become numb to sin, that culture is in trouble. It becomes just like Sodom. So what have we become numb to in this culture that we've heard so much of over and over and over? We become numb to, well, our language. We come to our language. Movies. Compromises in the air. 
We're numb to hearing about abortion, marriage, lawlessness in the streets, open borders, the Marxist tactics, idols. We come numb to the pleasures of Sodom and Babylon. The culture's cry, the, the culture's cry, the Christian cry in the culture is this, I want God and I want Sodom and Babylon. And hear this and hear this loud and hear this clear. God will not accept a divided allegiance. He will not accept it. He will cause you to choose your idol or him. Now, here's a young man that's having a little bit of a struggle. He's got his Bible and he's got his idol. Now, you can replace this idol with anything. This could be sex. This could be drugs. This could be I want my own way. This could be any addiction that you can think of right here. But I want to be a little bit of God too. This is how Christians function in Babylon, generally. A struggle with their idol, a struggle with what, am I going to be obedient what God wants or not? Now, I want you to think about something. Joshua had a word to say about this. And if you're really fast, you can turn to Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. Now, the setting here is this. The Jewish nation has been delivered from Egypt. They've had their sojourn in the wilderness, and now they're ready to go in to Canaan. They're ready to go into the promised land. But in the promised land, they left Egypt with idols, and they're going into a land full of idols. And Joshua says to these people, and I want you to notice two things that, that, that he focuses on here. Number one is fear God, and number two is serve God. Seven times he says serve God. Now that tells me something. God's getting our attention. If you want to survive the idols of Babylon, you have to fear God and you have to serve God. Watch what he says. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Now if you've been in our teachings here, you know that word is yare. It has two meanings. Awesome respect for God and a tremulous fear. Okay, they both can be applicable. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Put away the idols that you had. Put away the things from your past when you've come into Christendom and then serve the Lord. Secondly, that's the second time. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he makes this great statement that most people know. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now we're immersed in Babylon. We're little lights on your street. You're little lights in your culture. As for me and this house right here, we're going to serve the Lord. Now who needs to know that in your home? Number one, the dad. The dad needs to know that because he's, he's the... He's the, he's the Biggest responsibility in the home. The wife has to know that. But who else has to know that? Your children. Now, your children are immersed in this Babylonian system. And they're going to want to be stretched into Babylon. Babylon is pulling them like a, like a heavy magnet. So we have responsibilities in our home and say, no, I'm sorry, Johnny or Joey or Sally or whoever you are. We are not going into Babylon. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. God will not accept a divided allegiance. Paul put it this way. Paul put it this way for, 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 for regarding the believer. You, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17, but just the short version since we don't have a lot of time. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does righteousness have to do with unrighteousness? What are the things that Belial have to do with the people of God? And it screams of us, we are the temple of the living God. I don't know if you remember this. You are the naos of the living God. You are the holy holies of the living God. When you were born again of the Spirit, God came within you, and you have become the temple. You are the holy of holies where the Spirit of God dwells. And what are we to do with the idols of the world? Zero. And it says constantly to us, come out. Come out and be separate. Come out and be separate. That is the admonition. God's clarion call to believers, past, 
present, and future is separate from Babylon and do it now. Do not delay. Seek safety now. Don't mess with Babylon because Babylon wants you. Babylon wants you. Verse 9 through 19, the, wor the world's response to the Babylonian fall. And you're going to see the kings are going to grieve, the merchants are going to grieve, and the shipmasters are going to grieve. Watch in verse 9 through 10. We see these words. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. It's being destroyed. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. I want you to think about this. The kings are grieving. They're the ones listed first. Why is that? They're the ones that are in charge. Their wealth and their stability are gone in a moment. In a moment. Their world changed in an instant. These, thing, these kings learn, and all these, these three groups are going to learn something. Life can change so quickly. Let that be indelibly imprinted on each one of us. We know that if you lived here any time. In one hour, your judgment has come. These kings woke up in the morning. Everything was just the way it was. Just everything was great and wonderful. And by the time they went to bed, their world changed. That's how quickly it can happen. Verse 11 through 17, the merchants are going to grieve. The merchants are the next one on the agenda. And their gold, their silver, their fine linen, silk, wood, ivory, bronze, iron, marble, wine, oil, wheat, cattle, sheep, etc., etc., etc. They are destroyed in a moment. And the merchants learned that life can change so quickly. In one hour, their great riches came to nothing in verse 17. And the merchants woke up to a world that was normal and their world changed. Then the shipmasters, they're going to grieve and they learn that life can change so quickly for in one hour, she was made desolate. And what are we seeing here? We're seeing the grief, the gloom and despair of the world that is immersed in Babylon. They love the Babylonian system. They love their stuff. The world's stuff God, there is the stuff God. We all have our stuff, okay? We all have that idol to some extent has been destroyed and there is wailing. Now there's a lesson for us here. A lesson. Do not trust your stuff. Have you learned that yet? <laughs> You know, you get a new car. What happens to a new car in a few years? It gets a bump. And it gets a scratch. And then it starts to rust. And then before you know it, you, everything is squeaking and it's fall apart. And you got to get every entropy. Everything is wearing down here. Don't trust your stuff. Proverbs 23, 5. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Flee Babylon. Don't get stuck in the Babylonian system. Now watch the way the people of the world responds in verse 20 compared to the people of the world. God's people respond in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles. Now that holy apostles can also mean saints and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So the world laments, but God's people are going hip, hip, hooray. This thing is over. The Babylonian system is done. They rejoice. What a difference there is in two worldviews. A biblical worldview and a secular Babylonian worldview. Diametrically opposed. It couldn't stretch far enough. The difference between the two. Those with a biblical worldview are saying, Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice over her, O heaven. The evil system will come to an end. And just think, there will be a day there will actually be a day when there will be no more corrupt kings. No more corrupt politicians. Yes! And guess what? No more corrupt prophets and priests who are in it for the money, for the prestige, what they could get. God will expose and deal with evil. And let me say this. Rejoice, people of God. Rejoice. Rejoice, people of God, rejoice. I love that. The end of the Babylonian system is soon. We believe it's soon and God will deal with evil. In verse 21 through 24, you're going to see this is going to be a violent fall. 
God will judge Babylon violently. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down, and she shall be found no more. And then the sound of everything that happens in the city comes to a screeching halt. And get to 23b and focus on this. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints. And all who were slain on the earth. Babylon hates God's people. Has always from the beginning, all through time, including today, has tried to destroy God's people. The end of Babylon will be fierce. It will be violent. And I don't know if you remember the seventh bowl judgment a few weeks ago in Revelation 16, 19. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Orge, the wrath of God. Babylon's grip on the world was not simply monetary. It wasn't simply the stuff of the world. It wasn't just riches, but it included sorcery. And that word sorcery is the word pharmakia. And you know what that means. That means drugs, doesn't it? The world is numb by substances, but you know what it also means? It means magical arts and demonism. And may I suggest to you that drugs open a conduit to the demonic realm to influence people. Drugs are a conduit. And may I also suggest this. The legalization of marijuana in this country is not an innocent thing. Let's just get high. Take a little tote. You know, just to enjoy your day. It's the planned numbing of a culture. The strategy is this, I believe. Make the culture more compliant to the demonic changes that are coming to it. Make them more compliant. Because you know what marijuana does? It makes you feel like, don't worry. Be happy. Just enjoy it. Apathy, apathy, apathy. Pharmakia. Mind-altering drugs. LSD, mescaline, PCP, mushrooms, peyote, open the mind to the occult. Now, many people use these drugs to have a spiritual experience. And there are Christians who have come out of this world thinking that they were getting in contact with the real God because they really saw light. They saw things that they never thought that they could see. Now, watch this. This is very common. People that take these drugs say, I've come in contact with God. I've come in contact with God. What are they missing? What they are getting in reality is the counterfeit satanic experience. Remember, Satan always masquerades as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. The demonic realm promises you a lot. This enlightenment promises you a lot. Promises you fun, promises you enlightenment, but always brings darkness, discouragement, and death. Let me say that again. It will always promise you the world, and it will always, this is 100%, bring darkness, discouragement, and death. Now, what else, well, let me ask you a question. What can you expect from, from the kingdom of lies? Lies. You can see lies. That's right. Lies. Now, I want you to picture something here. These guys in this next picture, they didn't start out like this. They didn't start out like this. They just thought they have just this homeless thing. Now they're, now they're shooting heroin and that sort of thing. They didn't start like this. This is something that the kingdom of darkness enlightened them to. And now they're numbed by Babylon's God. Now that God, that Babylon, Babylonian God has hold of them. This is as sad as it comes. We have a situation in our country now where we're putting up tent cities for people to live like this. Now look at in the past, in the Great Depression, in different times in the history of our country, people have been homeless because they've lost their jobs. Everything has fallen apart. 
That is the time for the, the government that can step in at that time and help out. Now what is happening, there are jobs galore. But you cannot get people to go to work. Why? Because they're in tent cities numbed by the Babylonian God. You see help wanted signs all over the place. But nobody there to fill them. We have, this is something very different in our country. This has not happened before. That, that this is the cause. This is the cause. Our culture has been numbed by substances. The kingdom of lies. Do not buy into the Babylonian system that you are living in today because it will come to an abrupt end. Jesus will come and he wins. Now, closing application. Closing application. Now, we've learned about religious Babylon. We learned about political and economic Babylon. We know that these, these systems are coming to an end. But I want you to please bear with me with this. The satanic administration of Babylon began at the fall of man with Adam and Eve. That's when it began. But it became organized and political at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. That is when the whole world was then united. No one was worshiping the true God at that point. That's when it became an, an enemy organized under Nimrod. Now we have learned, all of us have learned in our short time here on earth, that life here is tenuous. It can change in a second. Change in a second. And nobody knows what lies ahead. But we do know, we do sense something, don't we? I think that every person here senses it's almost palpable that something is changing and something is coming. It's palpable. Now look at so our lives are a conglomeration of roads. There's a smooth road. And buddy, we all want the smooth road. Don't give me any bumps. Okay, it's a little bump. I might be able to take that. And then there get to be bigger bumps. And then there's these tsunami bumps that we have to survive. That's Babylon. Do not trust in Babylon for your security. That's this world system. Now watch when I expand this. Most humans try to stuff down the bumps or smooth out the bumps of life by building up walls of security. Humanity's security is usually centered around of how much Babylon they possess. You, you realize this. Now, hear this. No security illusion will save you. Everything can change in a moment, in a flash. What I am not saying is this. I believe we should prepare. Okay? I believe we should plan. I believe that we should position ourselves as best we can. But don't trust your stuff. Don't trust yourself. Those guys that were in that tent, the only thing they can trust for their deliverance is Jesus Christ. We who are not in the tent think we're okay. The only thing that will save us from Babylon is Jesus Christ. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. But we must know that life is not static. It is ever-changing. And like I've said before with time, it seems like it's, oh, it's the same thing every day. It is not. It is not. How do I know? Look at your body. Look in the mirror. If you're over 20, you've seen your first gray hair. Isolate and pluck that baby out as quick as you can. If you're 15 and you're, everything is perfect and pristine and you wake up one morning and it's just before school or before the prom and you've got a big zit on your nose and you know something has changed overnight and you're distressed by this, your family's changing, your friends change. And by the way, your plans will change. When you are getting your, graduating from high school and you walk across the thing and the guy says, congratulations, what are you planning on doing with your life? I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a this. I'm going to be a that. You don't know what's going to happen four years later or six years later or eight years later when you get your PhD. You don't know what's going to happen with your life. That's just the simple truth of it. What seems stable? Your pension, Social Security, 401. Now, I believe that you should try to pay off your debts. But your debts being paid off aren't going to be your security. Because things can change in a moment. 
Now, how do I respond when my life changes in a moment? How do I respond when I don't understand what in the world is going on? If you would, if you can get there quick enough, you turn to Job chapter 23 and pick it up here with me. Because Job was a man whose life changed in an instant. He lost his family, he lost his wealth, and he lost his health. And he didn't have a clue what was going on. Not a clue. And the way his family, the way people look at these things, Job had friends. And his friends are making an opinion about how Job is living his life. Be careful. Be careful when someone's going through a bad stretch. Because their friends said this. He has sinned. He needs to repent. Job is so self-righteous. God is dealing with him. The friends didn't have a clue. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Elihu. None of them knew what was going on. And Job had no phony pie in the sky. I'm okay. No positive thinking. That wasn't, this is just, you know, Job was experiencing the worst of the worst. He's not just covering his eyes and saying, I'm not here. This isn't happening. He realized his life was in disaster. And in chapter 23, Job speaks and he's having some self-talk. Have you ever done this? Some self-talk? Oh, that I know where I might find him. He wants to bring his argument to God. What's going on here, God? You need to tell me this. That I might come to his seat. That I represent my case to him. Fill my mouth with arguments. I know the words which he would answer me and understand that he would, what he would say to me. Would he contend with me with his great power? No. But he would take note of me. And then Job comes to this realization that we've all come to in our lives. In verse 8, he says, Where are you, God? Where are you in this? If I go forward, you're not there. Backward, you're not there. Left hand, right hand. Where are you, God? And then he comes to his senses, and I hope we do in the midst of the crisis. Verse, Verse 10, he knows the way I take. My God has not abandoned me. He knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, oh, this is the goal, to come forth as gold. And in verse 14, he ends up with this. He performs what has been appointed for me, and many such things he has in store, if I do not learn through the test. Many such things. So you are here to be changed, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And it takes the crucible of discomfort to change us, to get us away from Babylon and focus on our God. Isn't that amazing? It takes that for us to learn. It takes that. God then speaks with Job in chapters 38 through 41. And you see God's omnipotence on display, his power. And Job will learn who God is and who he is. That's important. We must know who God is and who we are. He says this, just a few quotes. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? You're wondering what you're going to ask me? Where were you? Who shut the seas with doors? Have you commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me. Tell me, Job, if you know this. And the questions go on and Job realizes something that God is great and I am not. And you see the shrinking Job. God is high and not me. He is God. Job realizes what we must realize. Life changes in an instant. I don't understand, but I can trust the one who knows. That's what I have to do. Trust the one that I know that knows. Even though I don't have a clue of what and why he's doing what he's doing. I got to give you an example. All of us have nasal hairs. Now we try to cut them so they're not running out your nose and you know, try to keep them trimmed so they don't look all gross and that sort of thing. They have a job. The nasal hair has a job of filtering dirt, keeping it out of your respiratory tree. That's its job. Now let me ask you this question. Does the nasal hair have a clue of the circulatory system? Does the nasal hair have a clue of the pulmonary system? Does the nasal hair know what the lymphatics do? Or the excretory system does? Does the nasal hair know anything about smell or touch or taste or hearing or, or any of those, those things? No, the nasal hair knows one thing. But the nasal hair, who we are, 
makes these great opinions and assumptions of what God is doing. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul put it this way. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. I don't see. I'm a nasal hair. I don't understand a thing what's going on. But yet they make these great projections. God, why are you doing this? I can't believe it. You're doing this. No, I'm a nasal hair. I have to realize he is great. It's the shrinking me. I trust you no matter what. And Job responds in, in chapter 46, verse 1 through 6. And I'll read this to you from the New Living Translation. And let this just res resound in your mind. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. He came to this realization. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? That's Job saying, you asked me this, God. It, it is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. I'm a nasal hair. Things too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I see you with my eyes. I take everything back that I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job learned who God was, and Job learned who he was. Job reaches a point we must also all must reach. I trust you, God, no matter what. God has a purpose for everything. Life is not random. Life is not random. We can also learn from King David. You know that King David was anointed by Samuel to be king, and for 13 years or more, I guess you can replace with that, or more, he was chased by, by King Saul. And in Psalm 57.1, you hear this, these words from David as he's being chased. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. Now, don't didn't you just resonate with this? My soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will take my refuge, my safe place, until these calamities have passed by. God is David's go-to place in the time of not understanding chaos. God is Job's go-to place in his time of understanding and chaos. And you know what's next, don't you? You, God is your go-to place in your time of chaos and trouble. What I must learn in the valley of despair of chaos is this. I will trust in you, God, no matter what. I will find my refuge in you, God, no matter what. And hear this. I will stay near you, God, until this storm passes by. But not just in the storm, because a lot of Christians are just stormy Christians. And forget about God when the storm's not there. Oh no, always, always. And remember this, God is with me in the storm. And I love this picture. God is with me. Jesus is in the boat with me. This is ominous. This is overflowing me. I have no hope whatsoever. In the midst of the storm, the greatest thing that I have is the presence of my God. And he will hold you and he will take you through. Even if it means taking you through to heaven. He will be with you to the end. That we can trust. That is where our hope is. There's nothing like the presence of God. Now there's a song that is sung in some churches that still sing, use hymnals. And it is this. In the dark of the midnight, have I oft hid my face while the storm howls around me and there's no hiding place. Mid the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry. And you know it. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. You got it. That's right. Till the storm. We're not going to go there, but anyway. <laughs> Keep me safe, Lord. Keep me safe. You know, there's a psalm. It's 103, verses 1 through 5. And it's good to remember in the midst of the storm where you've been with God, that God has blessed you and he has blessed you and he has blessed you. Watch this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, in all that is within me. Bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. For he forgives, for he heals, he forgives all of my sins. He heals all of my diseases. He redeems my soul from the pit. He crowns me with loving compassion. Satisfies my desires with good things. And I love this. So your youth is renewed like the eagle. Yay. When the storm comes out of nowhere, Babylon will not help you. But your God will. God's promise is this. I will be with you through it all. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Now I want you to just look at this picture. Look at the picture and listen to what I'm saying. Babylon will end. This world system will end. The thing that we're immersed in that we are fighting against will end. Babylon will fall. Babylon's evil storm will end. And Jesus will reign and he will say, peace, be still. And I wish I would have gotten a calm picture after this where the water is just... Jesus enters the storm. While Babylon, while we're in Babylon here, my heart's cry is that the world may know that I have been with Jesus. How am I responding to this storm? And I also want the world to know that I will not bow to Babylon's God. I will not do that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Keep me safe, Lord, till the storm passes by. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. You've given us again to study the word. And, and Holy Spirit, each one of us has heard something different. You've touched each one of our hearts in a different way. We remember different things from a talk. But you have done your work. You know what we need to hear. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you do your work in each one of us. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Help us to come out of Babylon. Help us to be immersed in you. Keep us safe, Lord, till the storm passes by. Thank you for this time together to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen.